just because you're going through some really hard times or you feel like you're so far away from your dreams, it doesn't mean that you can't change your life and still achieve them. I think we all have it, that internal voice that actually is your truth. Mm. But then it, we, as we get older, we hear it less and less, right? As kids, we do. Because as we don't have the the constant added filters and layers that life has put on top of us and everyone else's opinion and your environment around you. As a kid, all you hear is that voice. I mean, what what's happy if you have the money but no peace of mind? Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Welcome back, Yayborhood. I can't believe we're nearly into March. If you were following our wedding last year, you probably saw the fun we had with our amazing choreographer, Jared Byrne, who we then passed on to Samantha Gash and Mark Wales for their wedding a month later. He very generously organized tickets for the four of us to the second episode of the new season of Dancing with the Stars on Channel 10, which you also might have seen, where Jared is the professional partner to Celia Pacola, and it was an absolute blast. It's such an amazing show to watch and to see it in studio was even more impressive. And I was so lucky to follow up a few days later with one of the judges and fellow professional dancer Shana Burgess for this week's episode. Shana is the fiery redhead among the judges for this year, but has also come from 12 seasons of Dancing with the Stars US as a professional partner to a Backstreet Boy, an NBA player and everything in between, taking away the winning spot with Bobby Bones in season 27. Dancing since the age of five, she has lived and danced in the UK, the US and now back home to Australia and is an absolute force to be reckoned with. She's open, honest and refreshing, reminding us yet again that things are rarely an overnight success with lots of despair, hardship and challenge along the way. But her way to yay has ultimately led her now to the life of her dreams and I loved having her on to chat through it all. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Seize the A podcast, Shana. It is such a pleasure to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Especially after just having seen the show live on Sunday. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, we get to chat a few days yeah. later. And you did see a good show. That was a great show. It's always tough to see someone go home, yeah. um, but it was a fantastic show from everyone. It was so cool as well to see that what you see on the TV, I kind of assumed that there was so much in between that goes on, like you guys comparing scores or like chatting about stuff. There's no time for that. You literally, it's just rolls live. Yeah, it's it's live live. You know, there, yeah. is, there isn't even a, a few minute window where we can change things around if something goes wrong. There, we don't have any of that. Was, so I was even like, how do you pee? Like, when does that happen? Well, in those quick little <laughs> like two and a half minute commercial breaks, which I know when you're watching commercials doesn't feel like a short break. But for us, when you're trying to go to the toilet and get out of the kind of dress that I'm wearing, yeah. it can feel like 30 seconds. <laughs> Amazing. So before we kick off, the first question I ask everyone is what the most down-to-earth thing is about them, especially when you're in the TV industry and even if you are 
an open book and really happy to show the authentic parts of yourself, I think there's a bit of a glossy surface that social media can create. So Mm. what's something super relatable about you? Interesting. That's a great question. I try, you know what I do? I try to on my social media to do, you know, the me in real life, whether that is no makeup and no filter, or that's just me talking about my clumsiness or my epic fails or, (laughs) because I think it's really great to share that side of yourself. Mm. Um, And I actually, for that reason, recently started a YouTube channel to show the truth of who I am. You know, I have been on reality television for a long time and you get to see only what the network or the show allows you to see of me, not because I have to hide the rest of it, because that's just what you see when you turn on the television. Yeah. And so I thought, you know what? I really want everyone to know that I'm goofy, I'm clumsy. I mess things up at the best of times. I don't always have it together, but you know, I'm just another woman in this world trying to figure it all out. And it's been really, really cathartic for me to be able to open up that window into my life and and share that with people and say, you know, I struggle with dating or I struggle with motivation in the morning sometimes, or Mm. I struggled with some mental health issues. And I went through my moments and it lets people know that just because you're going through some really hard times or you feel like you're so far away from your dreams, it doesn't mean that you can't change your life and still achieve them. You know, I am I'm living out my dreams and and still trying to navigate my way through life. We all we all have the same battles. So uh, what the the most down to earth thing about me? Um, I don't know how to put it into one quality. I I try and stay grounded as I possibly can. Mm. Uh, fame was never something that I had on my radar. You know, I wanted to dance, be a world champion, own a dance studio, give back, and I think that that even though minus the dance studio, that is still part of my. Uh, motivation is to give back, to use my platform, to have a voice, to do something good with it, to mm-hmm. inspire other people, to create change uh, or inspire change. So, you know, they're, they're my missions uh, moving forward and Amazing. they're my reasons for trying to be more and more successful. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And I think it's a testament to you that a lot of what you've already said, even just in my research for this episode, I, I was able to find a lot of stuff about anxiety and about uh, how you do your makeup in the morning, how you're mm. not a morning person, you you know, have Alexa like yelling at you with your alarm 10 times. Yeah. You share all that stuff anyway. Like, yeah. I really, really like that. And I think that is where the cut through is. You can really inspire people and give back when your message is relatable. Yes. And that's, yeah, congratulations on being able to do that despite being on reality TV for 12, 13 years. Yeah, long time. It's crazy. Well, 12, I did 12 seasons with a celebrity partner in the States, but I've been on reality television now since 2011, so heading on okay. like like 10 years. Yeah, I mean, still a decade. It's a long time. And especially, <laughs> Such a long time. Yeah, when you, go, when you think of it, it was like from th- from 24 to 34 basically, and we change a lot. We grow so much. They are molding years for us as humans formative yeah very much so and I am very grateful that even though I got thrust into this world of Hollywood and have seen many people that I know get caught up in the world of fame and and become something they're not Mm. I have a family that's kept me very grounded and that's 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 my Aussie fam you know my mum my dad my my cousins and a couple of key friends that I've had since I was a teenager it always keeps me grounded and back down to earth you know, that and reminded of, of who I am in the best of ways and in the supportive and wonderful ways, not yeah. in like a cut you down. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and I yeah. think that's been really the key for me is loving my roots. Australia is always going to be home for me. I'm yeah. still that Aussie that wears her heart on her sleeve and somehow had to figure out how to navigate through that part in LA when you just shouldn't <laughs> be that person. 
and it taught me a lot of lessons. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for my family that's helped me stay grounded. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, that is quite a journey though. Like from early days in Wagga Wagga all the way to Hollywood, that's a big jump. So (laughs) the first section is called Way TA, which is really just the journey from your very, very early beginnings to now being able to live your dreams. And Mm. I like to just really, you know, emphasize for the listeners that almost no one's journey is smooth. Oh God, no. Almost no one starts out knowing where it's going to end up. Yeah. It might look like an overnight success. It's usually 10 or 20 years in the making. Easily, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and there's so much shit along the way. So going back to the very beginning, when you were a child, you know, young Shana and Wagga Wagga, what did you think that you wanted to be? And what were your childlike wonders in the world? <laughs> um, I, was a, I was actually quite a shy kid, which is where dance was really wonderful because it, it allowed me to bring out this whole other part of my personality. It's like... Like I would come alive in a, mm. in a whole other way with, of expression. Uh, but I was a tree climbing tomboy and I did play sports and I was definitely an active kid. And I thought I loved animals, still do. And I th- had this dream that I was going to be a marine biologist because I wanted to swim with dolphins. Wow. <laughs> that I think was... a lot of people share that dream. <laughs> of course, as a kid, that's all you think marine biologists do is swim with dolphins. I still don't know what they do. I literally think that's all they do. This, yeah, <laughs> Of course it is. We'll go with yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, as I got older and dance became more and more a part of my life, it, it, it wasn't easy. I got to 15 and I was competing in the world championships representing Australia. And I had, at this point, we were now living in Sydney because my dad moved up there. He was helping uh, build Homebush for the Sydney Olympics. Right. And wow. so I, you, you know, ended up dancing in those. Yeah. That, the that closing Olympics. ceremony. Yeah. Crazy, crazy experience. But uh, we moved to, to Sydney and life was very different. I couldn't play all the sports and do all the things. And so I ended up in just dancing and ballroom dancing is what I succeeded at. But it also led to me training seven days a week after school every time. Never got to be a normal kid, hang out at a friend's house or the, you know, the time zone game center, which at the time was very cool. I don't know if it is now. Absolutely. Um, remember. I don't the, think they exist anymore. The, no, probably not. <laughs> the Macca's parking lot, you know, yeah. that was also a hangout, which for some reason sounded so cool to me. <laughs> and I started to resent the fact that I was, you know, always dancing and I felt like it was my parents pushing me. And it, this is a case of be careful what you wish for and I went away to the world championships and in a nutshell, I busted my knee in the semifinal. I tore my ACL clean in half, had to be carried off the floor and then ended up six months off the dance floor in a brace. And that led to nearly two years off the floor where I did become a normal kid and I rebelled a hell of a lot. And, you know, was, was one of those kids that gave parents nightmares and heart attacks every weekend. And then realized at around 17, 18, well, just before my 18th birthday that actually dancing was my dream. And without it, I think I'm losing my mind. I think I need that creative outlet and expression. And that's what I want to do. I want to be a world champion dancer and I want to own a dance studio. And I'm, wow. that's what I want. And so I went home and I told my parents and we found a dance partner for me in Melbourne And within eight, nine months, I had said, no, I need to go to London because that's where it's at. 
and packed my bags, saved up money for a ticket. Obviously, my parents did help me too. They're wonderful and supportive. Uh, and relocated myself to England. Completely <laughs> naive to how difficult that was going to be. And 18 is so young. So young. It really is. Although at 18, you think you're 28. And totally. so it was like, I'm completely fine to do this on my own. I am so grown up and I have all the answers. I'm adulting. You can't teach me anything. <laughs> uh, but it was a rude awakening, I'll tell you that much. It was working three jobs to be able to afford to dance. I was working in personal assistant office work, mm-hmm. PA stuff which I was terrible at, dear God, I feel terrible for the people that employed me. Uh, (laughs) Teaching dance on the weekends, working in a sandwich shop after hours uh, and many nights it was a choice between whether I could afford to buy food, whether that eight pounds went on food or it would pay for my dance practice. Yeah. Uh, And so it was a very, again, shaping and moulding and forming kind of two years of my life that I was there and, that you know, I thought I was going to end up quitting dancing. It was the sacrifice was too much. This is that where it's not an overnight success. You know, the sacrifice was too much. I missed my family. I started to not love dancing again. It didn't feel right. But I stuck out the two years and the universe provided and and landed me an opportunity to dance with an an Australian production called Burn the Floor. And just toured the world. Toured the world. Yeah, really famous. And at the time it was it was absolutely huge. And so we ended up on Broadway in two thousand and nine and that's when Dancing with the Stars in America saw me. And the rest is kind of history from there. You were scouted yeah. from the show. Yeah. Well, you can't. Well, you never used to be able to audition for Dancing with the Stars. They either right. had to just know about you because you were that good yeah. um, or someone recommend you. And they heard about this ballroom dancing show that was going to be on Broadway. Great recruiting ground for them. Uh, and they came to see the show and tried to recruit me and a couple of others at the time. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's crazy. So crazy. I do this like quote of the day. You see in the little quote book, I do a quote of the day every day on um, my social media stories. And the one from today was, it's a very difficult thing to know when to turn the page or close the book. Mm. And I think sometimes people close the book too early when they're just one step away from it actually happening. And totally through that whole lead up, you probably would have thought, like, this is it. Like, oh, I, for sure. I, I'm done. Yeah. I've got no money. Yep. And little did you know, just around the corner was mm-hmm. a big break. You just never know when that's going to happen. It was, I think we all have it, that internal voice that actually is your truth. Mm. But then it, we, as we get older, we hear it less and less, right? As kids, we do. Because as we don't have the the constant added filters and layers that life has put on top of us and everyone else's opinion and your environment around you. As a kid, all you hear is that voice. Yeah. And so as we get older, it's harder and harder. But there was something in me in those two years in London and it was awful. The people that I were living with were terrible to me. I was miserable. I was lonely Mm. uh, and I was really battling it, gained a ton of weight. Every day I thought about going home and giving up. And every day there was something that told me, finish the two years. You said you would go for two years, finish what you started or you'll regret it. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't because I just needed to finish it. It was because at the end of those two years, the opportunity that changed my life came to me. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) I also love that it took you a little bit of time at like forced time through injury away from what you love to really appreciate the role it plays in your life and mm-hmm. sometimes we hold on to things so tight mm-hmm. that you need a bit of space to get perspective and I, I had such a similar journey to up to a point where I started the same at about five started dancing did full-time I was at the Australian Ballet for oh, quite a few amazing. years so I didn't go ballroom I went ballet and 
around the same time got injured, pulled my sciatic nerve and I ended up realising it wasn't my passion the same mm. way. I did the same, rebelled, had a break and then I never came back to it because having that space allowed me to see that for me the sacrifice of other things was too big. Mm. I love for you that it showed you actually it's worth it. It yeah. is what you want and yeah. that internal compass that's telling you I need to be a dancer is why now you get to live your dreams. Yes, yes, exactly. So what what came next? Like how did you move to LA straight away? Did you have any idea what this was that the very early years of the show? No. So in uh I guess Burn the Floor picked me up when I was 19. So that's what 2004. Uh and then I was with them for about 5 6 years. Wow. And once uh Dancing with the Stars saw me in 2009, I was still contracted to Burn the Floor. We were doing Broadway. We had a US tour afterwards. They were my family, you yeah. know. I I'd grown so much. And Jason Gilkerson, who is the creator of that show and choreographer, he's been my mentor. He's a Perth boy. Oh, no way. Yeah, he's a Perth boy. So talented. Now what should be considered the creative director on Strictly Come Dancing, the English version of Dancing with the Stars, which is the mothership. He changed the way that, I mean, he changed that show so much. It is beautiful and award-winning now. Um, But he's been my mentor. And at the time he was helping me through personal issues and not just dance things and he's the guy that taught me I will never forget this key moment but he's we were having a dance lesson because the my partner and I at the time joined burn the floor together and my dance partner and I and we were thinking we were still going to be competing whilst with burn the floor we thought we'd only do it earn some money figure our lives out but then fell in love with it but we were having this dance lesson in London getting ready to compete at Blackpool, which is the biggest competition in the world, but not technically the world championships. Okay. This is the same guy from Melbourne that you that you you found in the beginning as your partner? No, different Okay, guy. different partner by now. Yeah. Uh, so once I moved to Circle Back, I moved to England with that dance partner. Okay. Um, but he was a part of the trio of people that treated me absolutely awfully out there. It right. was like a, a case of like bullying and ganging up on it. It just oh, was terrible. Gosh. We moved on from each other and I ended up dancing with another guy called Patrick Helm who today this day is like my brother he was family we were always meant to be you know in each other's lives so we joined together and we were having this dance lesson and I will never forget it Jason looked at me and he said I know you but I don't know who you are when you dance I don't know I don't recognize anything about you it looks like you're trying to be what you think everyone else wants you to be and it was the first time someone opened up the idea of yeah, this is my creative expression. Why am I trying to do what everyone else wants? I need to bring me to it because that's what I did when I was a kid. Circle back to that, right? As a kid, it was about me expressing myself and somehow my art form that I loved so much had been about now pleasing other people and it was taking that love away from me. And so with Jason Gilkerson, I rediscovered my my love for dance and for choreography i read as i discovered me as a woman uh and i realized the transformative power of dance and the beauty in 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 sharing yourself yeah. instead of becoming what other people want you to be yeah instead of a mask to who you really are it's actually the exactly. the platform for you to be that exactly i always found that too that i felt the meest me when i was dancing but that was cuz i was so much younger and yes. i think in almost any creative expression It starts as a child as totally unfiltered. Then it becomes very, very molded and heavily impacted by Mm -hmm. rules and like adulthood Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then you just come back to the stuff you already knew. Yep. 
It's just yeah. unlearning and relearning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So then after, so 2011, they found, they discovered you or scouted you. 2011, I was able to join. So 2009, they discovered me. 2011 was the first time I could join. So in between that time, I had done the, finished out with Burn the Floor and ended up choreographing a movie over in the UK called oh, Street, Street Dance yeah. too, yeah, which was epic. It was, it was also terrifying. It was, it was you can choreograph, you could do this, right? You know that, just say yes and figure it out later. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I said yes and figured it out <laughs> later. And I was in panic mode for the like the whole four months of production. Uh, but it was the most incredible experience. I learned so much and what we created was really epic. Unfortunately, the movie itself wasn't an average, but the dance scenes were amazing. And that's all that matters, right? You're mm. like, I'm only responsible for that bit and that yeah. bit was amazing. And that, yeah, <laughs> I had nothing to do with anything else. Uh, but then up, right after that, in August 2011, is when I moved all my stuff over to LA. Goodness me. Mm, crazy. It's also hard to explain to people who aren't in the industry or haven't been in the industry that the market in Australia is very, very small because yes. we didn't have, we didn't even have these shows then. So no, there I... was really no place further for you to go once you became the elite in your troupe or in your dancing school or wherever you were, you could only go overseas. Yes. And so the fact that you have done, you know, Australia, London, the and US. America, yeah. And now come a full circle to dance being something that everyone appreciates on mainstream television mm. you must have ridden the wave of dance and just watched it come back to your hometown and been so excited to see that happen yeah it's it's a wild thing right because when when I was a kid and I'm in school it was very cool to be a dancer but not a ballroom dancer ballroom yes. dancing was what your grandparents did <laughs> And so I would just say that I was a dancer and let people assume it was hip hop, you know what I mean? Or yeah. like, or jazz or ballet even was cooler than ballroom. But through the surge of these television shows, predominantly dancing with the stars, but now also we've seen so many dance shows come out since then. Dance is in the living rooms of people. And so it opened up opportunity. Not only now was there opportunity to tour with a show like Burn the Floor, but there are TV shows that you could possibly go on to and be a part of and have a greater platform for something else. That's so exciting. The, yeah, but the fact that I have somehow managed to come full circle and be back in Australia and be on Australian television and be able to be here with my family and bring back everything that I've learned mm. couldn't be more special to me and more um, just wonderful. And it, it's it, that power of manifesting too. You know, I had been saying for 12 months leading up to this, I needed a way to be able to spend more time at home. Yeah. But you know, in an industry like this, when you get work, you take it because you don't know if you, when the next offer is going to come from, it's, it's a tough industry. Yeah. And then I'm just so, so grateful that the universe heard me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it opened up opportunity, but what a way to come back. I, I mean, know. I know. I mean, how amazing. It still blows my mind that I get to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's still wild to me and I'm very excited about it. Also, mum and dad never seen them more proud. It's like of all the things that I've done, the fact that I'm on Aussie television, their bragging rights have gone through the Oh, yeah. The roof. Don't worry about like CBS, Entertainment Tonight. Like, no. no it is Australian television. Yeah, because <laughs> because they can offer tickets to people. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, come see my daughter. She's Or tune on the telly at, at you know, on Sunday night, 7.30. Oh, You'll see my so daughter. Oh, so that funny. is so sweet. They'll tell anyone that will listen. And I love them for it. 
So what was it like turning up this Aussie girl in LA, the the pretty much epicenter of dance, mm. in this huge market where you know there were there had already been lots of seasons of Dancing with the Stars. It yes. was something that people appreciate as a career. Mm. What was it like? Were you completely overwhelmed? Were you just like, how am I how am I going to make a career here? Or did you just you know what what did it feel like? I think at the time I was oblivious to the magnitude of it. Yeah, you know, it was again. Fame was never really my jam. I loved dance. But I've also been a performer. So when it came time to perform or create or do, that was very, very natural to me. I oddly have found television very natural for me to slip to settle into and mm. because you're a performer. Yeah. And yeah. I and I enjoy it. And I I what I loved so much about dancing with the stars is that it wasn't just about performing or being or and it's not even about being something I wasn't. It was about giving the celebrity in front of me the same journey that I'd had with dance, the same transformative power of loving and understanding what your body can do, appreciating it for what it's gotten you through Mm. and seeing how much you can actually thrive and letting it unlock things for them. And, And I would see that every season, whether my partner was a drug addict that had been to rehab 13 seasons previously, which was Andy Dick, or whether it was these burly football players that refused to show emotion. Gosh, yeah. You know, it was all of these people would have these transformative journeys because I had been through that. Yeah. So it was like giving me another way to give back. I never looked at my job as me trying to get famous, but I think because of me being authentic in what I was doing, I quickly became a favorite because it wasn't, it's not about mugging the camera or being something I'm not. Yeah. Genuinely just trying to nurture and educate and, and give something to a person. Oh my God. And so it was very cool. But I will say LA itself is rough. Yeah. LA, when you move there in, in the beginning, at least for me, and I think for Aussies, we're such hard on your sleeve, open kind of people. We'll share with anyone and help anyone mm. and, and whatnot. And you you very quickly learn in not just LA, but I guess the industry, which is pretty much Los Angeles, you just can't do that. You're not with everybody. You have to observe and watch and learn and pick your tribe and find your place in your community and then trust in that but not just be so open-heartedly you all the time I think and that was a difficult lesson for me to to navigate on how to share myself but protect myself but stay myself and then be what tv needed me to be but still be me and it's like (laughs) you know what I mean what do you mean and it, it was a battle you know but I went through those years of maturity and in my 30s, I would say I figured it out. Oh, wow. I actually, I think we're similar age. I turned 30. I'm about to turn 31. Oh, I've got you by a few. I'm <laughs> turning 35 soon. Oh, same. same. Mm. So you're still early 30s. That's that's not mid. That's not early. really, babe. I'm about to check the other box. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I fill in a, a form now, there's a, there's a other box. I mean, you hold on though for those last few months that you're in the other oh, box. Oh, I'll be holding yeah. on. Yeah. I think I'll be 34 forever. I like 30. 34. It's a nice number. It's a good year too. I was I, I was enjoying 34. I'll stay I'll stay here forever. You, yeah, totally. I mean, your skin is amazing. You, <laughs> oh, you'll be 34 you. <laughs> forever. But I think that's one of the things that happens when you turn 30. You do just kind of, I don't know, something about all the hang-ups you have in your 20s. There's a lot of finding yourself and a lot oh, of yeah. being pulled in all directions. And I feel like it's a line in the sand of, no, this is who I am. Yeah. I don't need to be pulled by everyone. But the angst it takes you to get there is like, 
a decade. Oh, you couldn't pay me to go back to my 20s. <laughs> no, oh my Absolutely God, me not. too. I love this decade. 30s are the best years of my life. <laughs> um, from the minute I turned 30, basically, my yeah. life changed. I made changes. I knew more about what I was willing to put up with and not willing to put up with. I was more open to self-discovery and journey mm. and, you know, just we you go through all these years of people pushing you around and testing you and then you figure it out. Yeah. You know? So going through the 12 seasons that you did in the States before you came home, you... Yeah, a lot of seasons. Yeah, 12, right? Mm-hmm. So you won a season. I did. Congratulations, which Thank is amazing. You. And also had your, as you mentioned, like partners that ranged from the most diverse backgrounds, like a freaking Backstreet Boy, which is my favourite in the whole entire yeah. world. NBA players, bull mm-hmm, riders, mm-hmm. then also coming home have swapped from being one of the dancers to a judge. Yes. So what is your whole experience of the show been? And what's your personal favourite to watch style of ballroom, personal favourite to dance? What is it like behind the scenes? How much training is there? <laughs> like, you know, the bits that we see on TV are little snippets, but yeah. what has what your life really been like? growing with this show over the past sort of decade? So the being a professional dancer on the show uh, is the most incredible opportunity as a dancer you can have on the planet. I will say that. It wow. is epic. You get to create every week. You get to give the beautiful power of dance to someone every day. And you really, truly realize what you're capable of. Now in saying that, it is it consumes your life. Because we are passionate creatures, uh, creatives, right? We mm. we live and breathe it. And so you can't walk away from it. So for those <laughs> three months of the season that we would have, I would there wouldn't be a day off and that's fine. But beyond that day off, it, I would be functioning on three and four hours sleep a night because my brain wouldn't switch off. It yeah. would be constantly thinking about how to make it better, watching my tape, like the playbacks and the videos, doing notes on it critiquing my own choreography then also planning the the weeks coming ahead and I'm a creative control freak so I would (laughs) that doesn't surprise me yeah yeah it's true I own it I'm a creative control so I would also sometimes rearrange the songs and I'd be chatting to the lighting crew about what I wanted to see and I was inspired by Gene Kelly and he was very much like that and for me I wanted a hand in everything yeah and so I, I wouldn't sleep it made having, you know, beyond that being incredibly unhealthy for you, it also made having a relationship next to impossible. Yeah. And it's been difficult to date, you know, especially the last uh, four years. When I first joined the show, I was dating someone for the first few years and then we ended up breaking up. And it's been next to impossible trying to build a new relationship with the person mm-hmm. um, because think about it. I might be dating someone, but then for those three months out of the of, of that season, I'm constantly thinking about talking about and hanging out with another man. And grinding on. And really. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and everyone misunderstands what that means. Course, you know. Yeah. And but it's also talking about them, building them up, talking about them on camera, or with press interviews, giving them my attention. And again, still focusing at one o'clock in the morning on how I can make them better. Mm. That's a lot for another man to handle, especially in a new relationship. Totally. We were just actually talking about that when we came to the live show. Just, I think on TV, you're kind of a little desensitized, but seeing in person how up close and personal the dance partners get, they have to know each other's bodies intimately and you're training all day, Mm -hmm. every day, kind of on each other and working in sync. 
it would be very hard for a partner who doesn't understand that dance is storytelling. It's the same as an actor, really, Mm -hmm. an actor's partner. It would be really difficult to be like, I've just let my partner go have another partner, basically, Mm -hmm. and act out anguish and love and passion. And they're marked on it. So if they don't do the facial expressions. They lose marks on it. Yeah. You have to have the chemistry (laughs) and the sensuality and the, the, you know, that connection between you. That is what ballroom dancing is between a man and a woman or between mm. two people whatever it's a it's a chemistry and so yeah it it has been very difficult for me as a professional dancer I would always try and befriend the spouse you know make mm. sure early days we all go to dinner and early days you see that he actually doesn't like me half the time because I'm <laughs> bossing him around yeah. I'm never happy with what he's doing yeah you know and it's I can see from the outside looking in like god they're so close all the time but if when you're in it, you're like, oh, my God, we're so close all the time. I just want to punch them. You know, and it's yeah. like it's, it's like feels, brother, sister. Yeah, it feels the opposite. Yeah. And yes, there are moments when people get confused uh, or not even confused, start to catch feelings. But, you know, that's natural. Or mm. At some point, the odds are of all the pe- partners you're going to have put together on this show, someone's going to have chemistry. Yeah. It occasionally ends up in marriage. <laughs> occasionally just ends up in the tabloids. You know what I mean? Or both. Or both. <laughs> But, uh, you know, dance is a very sensual thing and it's intimate, but it doesn't mean that it's sexual. Yeah. But my experience as a judge is wonderful. I, I turn up for one day a week, you know. Oh, it's totally different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's completely different. Because I also don't want to see anything through the week. I yeah. want to see it fresh and in the moment. I don't want a preconceived idea of what I think it's going to be. I don't even know what dance style they're doing until really? I'm debriefed before the actual show. Yeah. Wow. Because I don't want to, I don't want to sit all week and be like, I hope that she's working on his body, whatever. You know what I mean? I just want to let them do their thing. What's your favorite style to do and then to watch? Are they different? Favorite style to do, even though I'm not epic at it. I kind of fake it beautifully, but I love the way it feels (laughs) is contemporary. Wow. I love it. Yeah. I didn't stick with ballet long enough to have the the flexibility for all the things that I would love to do, but there's just the storytelling and in yeah. contemporary is one of my favorite things. Um, but I really do love everything. I love Argentine tango. Um, for me, my favorite to to dance and to watch is anything that actually has a storyline to it. Yeah. Because I'm a storyteller. I think I'm a, a different kind of creator in that sense. I always like to have stories. So uh, anything that gives me a good storyline, I am all about, which is why I love Jared and Celia's the other night yeah. and um, a couple of other people that had great story. The story is great. Is that part of your choreography when you're an actual professional dancer? Because guys listening, I don't know if you all know that the professional dancers are literally in charge of all the choreography. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, they're not given the dance to teach the competitor, no, not at they, all. they create design everything. that. Yeah, they create that from scratch. And then week to week, you see a new one. They have to do that mm-hmm. week to week, briefed on what style the, you know, you're up to. So, God, that just must be so challenging and so nice for you to not have to do that now. Yeah. And, it, you know, as the, pro, like what these guys go through, it is incredibly challenging because not only are they trying to make these guys look good, they're also trying to please us as judges. That mm-hmm. means having enough content that's true to the style. So when Craig is saying it was a very contemporary Viennese waltz and I'm here to judge Viennese waltz, that, you know, he doesn't like the fusion of there being movement that is not actual Viennese waltz 
technique and, and content. So they have to think about pleasing us. We also have rules where some dances you can lift and some you can't. Yeah, there was one where you could only have two and mm-hmm. if you did three, like you'd mess it up or yep, something. Yeah, if you have three, you get penalised. There's some dances where you can't dance at all. Sorry, can't lift at all. Uh, and then there is the technique that's different for every dance. Yeah. Cha-cha is different to samba. And so it's overwhelming in the stuff you have to teach, let alone create and make look great. Uh, so I commend them. I know exactly what they go through. And <laughs> I, you know, I empathize with them. I do. I was one of them for a long time. Mm. And it's not easy. It's actually incredibly difficult. Even when you have someone that is an amazing dancer, it's incredibly difficult. And you probably judge them harder if you know they have a background. Like, you know, they they hold themselves probably to a higher level, which means that they, you know, just you, so you'd be so hard on yourself. Yeah, you you have to. But as a pro, you put so much pressure on yourself. When you have someone that's great, you start to feel the weight of everyone else's expectations. Yeah, And so it's it's a hard thing to navigate for them. What do you do now for your own dancing now that you're not having to dance on the show and choreograph so much? You know, you mentioned that in the US, the 12 seasons, some of those years, there were two in a year, which basically takes up your whole year. Yeah. So now how do you fit in your own dancing? Are you competing still? Are you just no, doing casually? No, now. I, you know, I honestly haven't been dancing that much in the wow. last 18 months. It's been, I judge now, I choreograph a lot on different shows, but I haven't had that beautiful uh, live performance feeling, which is actually why I said to the producers here, I was like, listen, put me in whenever you can. I just, I'm still in my dancing prime. I'm not ready to to not dance. Certainly don't want to do the 12 hours a day, every day that these pros are going through, but mm. I would love to just perform a couple of times. So there's going to be an opening number or two that I can do. And Did uh, you film one of those on Sunday? I feel like when I arrived, you were in a different costume. Yes. So that was for a promo piece. So okay, that's being yeah. put together now for the actual promos, but um. Yeah, I'll be in week four. I'm going to do feature, be featured in an opening number and a oh. couple of other things. So for me, I don't get to dance that much anymore, which also means I'm at the gym every day because like <laughs> the body needs it. I was actually going to ask when I finished dancing, I had never had to exercise on purpose because mm. it's incidental mm-hmm. to what you love doing mm-hmm. and I'd never thought of that as exercise. And suddenly I was like, man, I'm getting fat. Mm-hmm. Like I used mm-hmm. to dance this off. Yep. Well, how do you exercise if you're not dancing? Gym? I have to do the gym. Yeah. And I realized that too. I was, not only is it like, okay, I'm in my 30s and things are yeah. different. <laughs> no, right, fine. But then that added factor of just not dancing every day. Yeah. But still, uh, I would say still eating the same. Like I still eat healthy, but actually having more time to eat. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't in cra- – so even though I ate healthy food, there was just more of it because I would snack more often or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, so my jeans don't fit anymore yeah, and this is a great. problem. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. I need to address great. this. You know, when, when they're a little tight, you can pretend to yourself they just came out of the dryer. But when they actually <laughs> flat out don't fit you anymore, it's devastating. Dating. It's a thing. Yeah. So then now my workout basically consists of an hour on the elliptical machine. I pick a series. I make sure I'm watching something to keep me entertained because I must be entertained. And then I do a lot of light weights and high reps kind of, you know, or even body weight exercises. And it's it helps me a lot, but it's definitely more difficult to keep it down and to keep fit. And I swear to God, I look at chocolate now and my ass expands. So <laughs> That's like what we were just talking about before. I look at alcohol and I get drunk. God, yes, exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just sniff it and I'm like, Ooh. oh, God. <laughs> so speaking of alcohol, what are some of, you know, the most 
nitty gritty behind the scenes stuff about the show that we wouldn't expect. Oh, or, no, this is true. So like, you're talking about the tequila. Yes. yes. The fact that your pregame ritual is a shot of tequila with your partner to relax the nerves. Yep. And that you had almost as much fun in the dressing room with the girls as the fun that you had on the actual show. What's all the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't make the show? I think that um, the first of all, the thing that people don't expect is that everyone genuinely actually does like each other and genuinely are friends. People at the most point are like, yeah, 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 they're a family, whatever. But no, it's <laughs> it's actually the truth. You know, you spend so much time with each other that you become very, very close. Uh, and what you don't see it's really not as juicy as you would want it to be, is that we all help each other. So backstage, uh, the pros are help. Me now as a judge, I can't. But as a professional dancer on the show with a celebrity, you always jump in when you see someone needs help, even if that means they're your competitor. You know, if they're going up, they're ready to dance and their celebs freaking out and you think maybe it needs a woman to woman kind of vibe, you go, you help out. or or a step's not working or you're, you're as a pro having trouble choreographing a movement and you just need someone with a little inspiration, you grab one of the other pros and they'll help you out. Oh, you know, it's nice. it really is beautiful like that. It is one team ready to create gr- a great show and give a, a, a beautiful performance from everyone. But there are the little things, right? There's like I would have a shot of tequila with my partners before the show to relax the nerves. There was a few partners that definitely <laughs> didn't drink. So I didn't have that moment with them and I missed it. Like even though I wouldn't get nervous, I was like, dang it, I want my shot of tequila. Yeah, that sounds fun. You've got matching tattoos with one of your I winner, did, right? the Mirabal tattoo. Yes. Um, but there's no real juicy, juicy stuff behind the scenes. It doesn't need to be juicy, just more like what you wouldn't expect. I guess even the fact that it's like five to six hours a day, really, full time of dancing. Yeah, like, I, I don't, don't think, think people, people expect that. No. But it's, it starts there, girl. And then by the end of the season, they're doing 12 hours a day. Jeez. Like when I was in, whenever I would make it to the final, which I'm so grateful was more often than not right but that also meant it was 10 weeks of getting longer and longer hours and so by the time the finale came around we were in 12 hour days because we'd have four dances to put together so you just needed more time yeah oh my god and honestly like we would have our and I'm sure the guys do it here too but we would have our scheduled rehearsals but because there are cameras in the room sometimes it slows you down so we'd do the eight hours with them Go get dinner and then just go to find a secret rehearsal space and be rehearsing until one and two o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, no one knows that. I think they all think, oh, it's just a bit of fun. Like they're just dancing for a little while. It's not. Yeah, they're being pros. Mm -hmm. Which is, that's also the thing for me. Like when it comes to judging, I know that we can, like Craig can be really harsh or, you know, even I can be, sometimes I can be tough, but I have empathy for these guys on what it took for them to get to that point dancing Mm. on the live show. You know, every now and then you have someone that maybe isn't putting in the time and the hours, but most of them are. And I think this season, all of them are. And so when they get there, regardless of it being good or bad, they probably just put 50 hours of their week into getting this there. They want some validation, at least if it's just, I see what you were trying to do. Yeah. You know, and for me, I always want to make sure I give them that because it can get to you Yeah. being on the other side of that desk and putting your heart and soul into it and then having these three people who you need an opinion from just be tough on you it makes you not want to do it and at the end of the day this should be fun because it's dance yeah I do love though that you know we're talking about this just before we started recording you don't pre-plan like I'm the nice one I'm going to be the bad cop no 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 that your judging does actually come out 
quite inconsistent in a good way mm. that you all, you know, it's not consistently going to be one of you being more empathetic and one of you being harder. Like you all just genuinely come out with completely different things every time based right. on that specific performance. I right. love to know that that is live. Like it just yeah. happens. There's no, you don't chat about who needs to be the one that makes them feel better this week. No, or no. I, I really liked that. I think that was really, makes it a serious competition. Which is, they are giving that much of their life, so they do need to have some scope to kind of actually become a better dancer. Right. Yes. I mean, the end of the day, we're there to educate. It's not just entertainment. What we want, what we say, we want to be authentic and real and hopefully have it help. Even Craig in his twisted of ways, even though he can be incredibly mean, (laughs) what he says is for the most part true. Sometimes I disagree with his actual technique uh, critiques. But for the most part, I solidly disagree with his delivery. More his than notes. the actual content. But sometimes I'll see the same things that he sees. We just have a different way of expressing and sharing those things. Yeah. Um, but I, when I give notes, I like to explain why and how to fix it. Yeah. Because I think that that's helpful instead of just saying that this, 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 and this, well, it sucked. Yeah. Because <laughs> that doesn't help anyone, in it my doesn't. opinion. But it does give you a little bit of an insight into dancing in the 80s. Mm. I mean, we all had someone who was just crushing our self-esteem. Oh, my God, didn't I? I had someone <laughs> whacking my legs with canes. Same. And she was smoking at the yes, time. Yes. Do you remember that? in the studios. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Those were the Those days. Those were the days. <laughs> How old are we again, Jesus? I know. I know. <laughs> so just before we move to the next section, I have heard mm-hmm. various rumours on the grapevine. Oh, let the- me guess. I'm not going to guess. You tell me. The Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of what's entertaining, I, can you tell us anything? I, In all honesty, there is no actual answer to that. It became a conversation on accident because of a red carpet interview I did at the races. With Georgia, right? Yes. <laughs> Georgia will love that. Hi, Georgia. uh, Yeah. Hi, Georgia. On (laughs) accident, I was like, yeah, why not? Totally. I'll do The Bachelorette or however it came about because I think the other young lady standing there with me had been on it before. Right. Um, As well as Georgia. So it it was kind of like a playful answer because, you know, what woman can be single in her thirties when the, you know, How without people you? trying to, yeah, like <laughs> everyone's trying to pair me up with somebody and, you know, parents want grandkids. So they're, they're all for it. But then very quickly over the space of those two days, I had people from the network coming up to me and then other people stopping me and like this bachelorette thing, this could be like, would you want to, this could be like awesome. And I realized how, like, it was actually a serious thing. Like, people were really into me wanting to do or into having me do this. And I've been thinking about it and trying to figure it out. And I will say right now there's no contract on the table, but it is still a conversation. Um, Ooh. (laughs) Stay tuned. And who knows? Honestly, look, it wouldn't be for this year because I simply can't because of my other commitments that I have. Yeah. But it could be in the future. If I am still single next year at the same time, (laughs) then yeah, I'll say yes, because clearly I can't do this on my own and I'm going to need the help of the whole of Australia to help me find someone. The whole nation. Amazing. Well, we already all love you so much on TV. (laughs) Thank you. The two things that came up all the time when I was doing research, I love to like find really nitty gritty stuff and I had to swim through the content on A, The Bachelorette, but B, how you're a TV favourite. And I think Uh. it's that's come from the States to here because – you know, people love you. Oh, it's so, so nice. That's awesome. It's so lovely. That makes me very happy. Yeah. It's always a nice thing to know that when someone researches you, good things come up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because you never know. Yeah. Although I haven't really had any scandals. But that in itself in the course of 12 seasons of a show is pretty difficult. Yeah. So my, well done. Yeah. My greatest scandal was something they called Nipplegate, which is where I had a pretty epic nip slip. 
I mean, wow. Yeah. But, you know, as a dancer, that's not even a thing. It's not You're a like, thing. You're like, my nipples are out all the time. Pretty much. So <laughs> that doesn't even, doesn't justify a gay to Except, the you know, when there's like, at the time, I think it was like 9 million people watching. Cool. It's different. It's yeah. kind of different. Definitely different. Yeah. Definitely different. <laughs> and when yeah. you're completely unaware of it, standing there like a fool with your nipple out, also different. At smiling, also, like, yeah. hi. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Taking the judge's critique and then the host <laughs> turns around and is like, uh. <clears throat> Tuck that just, back in, yeah. gal. <laughs> so speaking uh, of, you know, slip ups and obstacles mm. along the way, the next section is called nay TA, which is pretty much all the things that have said nay to your joy. So anything from a really common theme of this podcast is self-doubt. Mm. I think it's something that imposter syndrome is something we all go through and I I laughed actually seeing that in one of the, I think it might be on your own website, the way you describe yourself is creator and storyteller, which completely makes sense. And the third thing is professional pretender, <laughs> which touched exactly on the fact that we all self-deprecate far too much. Yeah. You're not, I don't think you're pretending at all. But also, you know, body image as a dancer, mm. anxiety, being in the public eye, adjusting to living away, you know, all of those things. What have the biggest challenges been for you and how have you navigated them? Gosh. It's a loaded question, right? I think we go through stages in life where at the time things feel like the biggest thing ever you could possibly go through Mm. and then you have growth and then life gives you something else that you need to go through and navigate through and then you have more growth. Um, As a teenager, it was body consciousness, like but a real unhealthy relationship with food, never bulimic at all, but um, being weighed every, every week. And being told that I needed to lose more weight at the mm. age of 14, you know, it was that was really, really difficult for me. And I think I struggled with that relationship with food for a long time after that, really well into my late 20s, and but unaware of it. Yeah. yeah that idea of like punishing myself for having something and then not literally starving myself, but trying to be so, so good and then binging on something that I shouldn't have. It was it, what there was no balance in what I was doing. Mm. It, it was. And that was carried over from my teenage years. Um, certainly my knee injury was difficult for me to get through, but it was the lesson that I needed. It was what the universe needed to give me for me to realize what I wanted my path to be. Loneliness in my 20s in London and going through feeling completely abandoned by the people I went over with and like I was like I had no direction and it was, I would say even without realizing it, it was probably minor depression in all honesty. Yeah. But you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I didn't know that at the time. I just knew I was unhappy. Toxic relationships one after the other, an incredibly toxic relationship uh, that was five years up until I was about 30. And the lesson there was, um, God, I, like I would minimize myself for him all the time because he was always, he was in the industry too. And your and success I, was threatening. Threatening him. And he was more successful when we got together and then my success boomed. I would say no to work because I knew that it was something that he wanted, but I got, oh, um, and I would minimize all the time yeah. and I would and probably let, not even realize that you were doing it. No, I didn't. Yeah. I had no idea. And so, that I, you know, minimizing myself in my career meant minimizing myself in life. And so my career wasn't going anywhere and uh, breaking up with him in my 30s, uh, sorry, basically when I turned 30, it got so bad and to such a point where it's like the universe tried to show me time and time again, you need to leave this guy. Yeah. And then it got so bad publicly in a situation that happened with us that it all my friends saw and it was like, okay, there's no turning back from this now. I have to go. Yeah. And it was the greatest thing that could have happened. Um, right. I always feel like that one of the quotes in that little book is that life will teach you a lesson over and over until you learn it. Oh, for sure. So yes, it'll it just get worse and worse and worse until, which is just a sign that you have some good karma in the bank. Yeah. 
And then most recently, honestly, my most recent one was about two years ago. And I was, I was in uh, LA and I was, sorry, I wasn't in LA. I was over in America though. I was on tour with Dancing with the Stars America and I was unbelievably unhappy and I didn't know why. I had everything everything in the palm of my hand. My career was great. I'd bought a beautiful home up in the hills that I would never have dreamt I could be able to afford. Mm. I was living this life, driving a Range Rover or, you know, happy with my family. Like everything was good, but I was unhappy. And I realized that I had fallen into this pattern of comparing myself to other people all the time, that no matter what I had, it wasn't enough because I always wanted what the next person had. Yeah. And that that started with waking up every morning and looking at Instagram before I thought, a, a singular thought, before I walked my dogs that needed to pee. It was waking up and looking at everyone else's highlight reel and then starting my day with being concerned about what everyone else was doing. God, why is she doing that? God, I should have thought of doing that. And then telling myself that I'm messing up. I yeah. started my day with berating myself and I diminished my self-worth completely and my confidence in what I was doing. And I didn't know that until I I had this moment and I was on tour and I called uh, my doctor and said, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I, I have anxiety every day, all day. I wake up with it. I go to sleep with it. I'm crying myself to sleep at night. I don't know why. I feel unbelievably alone. My chest feels tight. I need something to help me with this. I've never taken prescription medication in my life except for acne, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And he got me this prescription for a drug called lorazepam. Uh, which I'd never taken before. And I it was like a scene out of a movie, man. It's the things we watch when we're kids. I went to pick it up and I was in the changing rooms on my own and I had this little orange bottle in my hand like we see in movies. I was going right? to say, yeah, you must have still been in the States. Yeah, they, in America. Yeah, pills don't come bottle. like that yeah. for us. <laughs> and I looked at it in my hand and I was like, this is not who I am. And I've always had this fear that if you start on them, you'll never get off them. Yeah. And I did not want that for me. I thought there has to be another way. I'm not an unhappy person. I have no reason to be unhappy. And so then I started therapy and I realized, oh, shit, there's a whole world of things that I've not actually dealt with, but just as we do, pushed on through because you can and because we feel like we have to. And so with therapy and, and going back and, and actually dealing with things that have happened in my life and then starting and discovering meditation and gratitude practice, uh, which I discovered when I went on a, my first retreat. I went on a retreat for my birthday and it was the thing that changed my life. Wow. How um, long ago was that? That was two years ago. That was two birthdays ago. Amazing. And so it, when I say it changed my life, it was, I, I learned to, the greatest thing I learned was to master my morning because in discovering that that was a big problem for me to start my morning with gratitude, with honoring myself, with taking care of things that I needed to, with focusing on the love that's in my life, whether that is with people, with opportunity, whatever the, the love I have, a, you know, a vision board that I would look at. It was starting my morning the right way. Now, whether I had 45 minutes or four hours, I would find a way to do a version of something that helped me. My emails and my Instagram, my text messages, I didn't, I don't look at until I'm ready to work. That's after meditation, journaling, coffee, <laughs> and, you know, taking care of my dogs, yeah. you know, and breathing in the surroundings and thanking the universe for everything that I have. And I know that sounds silly. It doesn't sound silly at all. <laughs> changed my life. And testament to it, right? Months after I did that and started really focusing in on the things that I wanted, I finally won Dancing with the Stars after not having won it with the worst dancer of the whole season. 
Because <laughs> you got your head right. I got my head right. But not because he became the best dancer. But it, you know, it, it aligned because he was so lovable. But he also became the mentor that I needed who also works in hosting and radio, mm. helped me with other opportunities. And I think actually through dancing with him, the people he knew and I met, the conversation started about me coming to judge here. because his voice that vouched for me and said, no, she's amazing. You need to audition her for this. And that's really how I got the opportunity to come out and actually audition to be on Dance with the Stars Australia. So changing my life with meditation and gratitude and therapy, which, by the way, everyone should be in. You don't have to have a problem to be in therapy. Oh, I go once a week. I've literally spent my life savings on therapists. But I'm the happiest person in the world because of it. Yes. I mean, what's happy if you have the money but no peace of mind, right? It changed my life. I started attracting all the right things to me and, and, and seeing the forest for the trees. That is such an important reminder. I think that we often look straight away to the external circumstances. We're like, Mm -hmm. what outside of me is making me unhappy? And what outside of me can I add or grow or multiply? Like the more, more, more mentality. And really most of the time, nothing outside needs to change. It's the inside that's not that where the imbalance is. And therapy is often the most effective and because they're so experienced they're actually trained in the ways to help us rewire our thinking yeah absolutely you don't need to change anything out there no that changes when you change the inside just like you said like everything started to happen for you yeah without you having to go and look for it yeah I think one of the hardest lessons that I learned and it sort of plays into that is that everything is a choice Except that every single thing in your life is a choice. You're either choosing to stay, you're choosing to focus on it, you're choosing to attract it in some way whatsoever. Everything is a choice. How you react to it is your choice. Oh, that is so, so powerful. And that is a really big theme of this podcast is seize the day and the idea that you should be always going after certain milestones or certain criteria is very Mm. reactive and very Mm. like this is happening to me or blah, blah, blah. And I think... One of the things I, I love to remind people of through stories like this is that you maybe don't have a choice about what, you know, everyone else is doing around you, but the way you react to it and the way you perceive things, which influences how you experience life, mm-hmm. that is a decision. Huge Happiness decision. is a decision. It yeah. doesn't just, you don't just wake up one day and go, yeah, I'm sorted. Yeah. No, you don't. No. no not at all. <laughs> I mean, very few people wake up that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And who are they and where are yeah. they? <laughs> and can uh, I marry you? But it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's even things like... Why that that lesson was also so difficult is not just changing your mindset, but understanding there were people in my life that shouldn't have been in my life. Yeah. And we all have those, right? And we make excuses for them and this and that. But at the end of the day, there were some toxic elements in my life that I needed to stop putting so much value in. And it didn't mean having to be, you know, cut them off completely and never be around them again. It would just reevaluate how much I value them mm. and their opinion. Mm. And do I really put their well-being and feelings before my own now? Yeah. No, I yeah. can't. You know, it, it, everything is a choice. And so that that part of that lesson I actually found very difficult for me because I'm a nurturer by nature and so constantly putting other people's problems before my own and that only led to me having problems that were not dealt with and yeah. I almost lost my damn mind. So yeah. the lesson was change that. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads nicely into the last section which is called play TA which is pretty much 
everything outside of your working productive identity, which I think we get wrapped up in believing is the whole of our personality, Mm. putting that aside and coming back to childlike you and the things that just light you up and make you happy, regardless of success, regardless of money and metrics and coming back to that idea that, you know, we do surround ourselves with people who we think we should look after Mm -hmm. or we should spend time with because they're a good network or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. When you strip it back to just what makes you happy, who makes you happy and what you do, what are those things? How do you play? How do I play? I, You know what? Actually, I think that's still part of my lesson in learning how to bring the play in. I've been so career-driven for such a long time mm. and I'm now in a moment of my life where I can make more space for play. And I think that means finding that person that I love and that I want to share my life with and playing with them in in the sense of like travel i want i'm an adventurist at heart i love hiking and exploring and seeing but i've had no time to do so yeah there are so many places i want to explore my bucket list is long and <laughs> i am ready to do that with someone and yeah. that would be the ultimate way for me to play i have this dream although it might have to be in my next life because i don't know how to fit it in we're manifesting here though Ma- we're manifesting <laughs> maybe it's after i've had kids and my my husband and i just have a golden retriever and we can set off but we have a golden retriever yeah golden i grew up with them they're called the, paul yeah oh you do that's yeah. my ex-boyfriend's name oh <laughs> suddenly <fun>. not as cute <laughs> but that's a very cute name for a golden retriever <laughs> i have this dream that i'm going to deck out like a um a camper van basically right. like those mercedes ones that you can actually put on ships and go to the next country yeah not a not a trailer but an actual camper van yeah deck one out that you can live in there are some amazing ones online that are like <laughs> you've looked it up already. Oh, oh i've already like planned <laughs> my retirement that are me and my husband and our dog are going to just travel the world in this camper van oh. and see and explore and do and enjoy everything that this natural world has to offer that's outside of these concrete jungles that we live in. I know. And I think it's so beautiful that you actually have a picture of where where your brain will go oh when, God, yeah. when you can choose. Yeah. In the meantime, I read that, you know, bubble wrap really is a, is a great is, source of oh, fun for that you. Level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bubble wrap. I'm talking real simple. Yeah. Like what do you Isn't do for- like f- sexual frustration though? <laughs> I've <laughs> read that, but I also think it's just you're in a five-year-old. Yeah, no, bubble wrap's always been a thing for me. I love bubble <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that and cheese cheese is also wow. i love food okay love so food. food yeah see that's a great food. Job. cooking a it or just eating it oh, i actually really enjoy cooking now too in my uh last like four or five years i've really enjoyed being creative with cooking and mm. discovering that i'd love to take a cooking class Go because to me it's still a creative art form yeah you know? and i would love to do that uh but the things that make me happy is God, good movies. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I love movie marathons with friends and the things that are very, very chill. I'm no longer the girl that likes to go out drinking at the bar and this, that and whatever. Like the spontaneous nights, hell yes, with good friends and, and it ends up being great. But when I get those text messages about like, hey, want to go out tonight? I'm always going to be busy. Oh, I'm already in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My makeup was off oh, seven done. hours yeah. ago, so soz. And then I'm also like, you know when you get brave and someone asks you in the morning, you're 
like, yeah, that sounds like so much fun. By the time six o'clock comes around, you've already pajamas fully moisturized and coming up with an excuse. My my meeting run overtime by uh, yeah, six so hours. Yeah. I can't make it. Just can't make it. I'm really early morning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And that's and that's another side effect, I think, of your thirties. Mm. Suddenly you're just like, whatever's comfortable and warm. Yeah. And no makeup. I mean, yeah. really. Yeah, no makeup. Also animals. I think Yes, I, I wanted to ask about that. I would love to do something in the world of animal rescue at some point now that I also have more time Mm. um even though I think that actually might break my soul and I'll end up saving them all and just be the dog lady I was about to never get a husband (laughs) (laughs) no you need to find like a Caesar Milan like a dog whisperer kind of vibe yes yes you can open golden retriever land oh my god I love golden retrievers that and wolf dogs, complete opposites, Ooh. but, you know, I don't think they're legal in Australia, are they? I don't know. I don't know no. if I've ever seen one here. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yes, and something with animals. Yeah, I, I I love animals. My two dogs are rescues oh, um, and they're the, the gifts of my life. They definitely make me very happy. Animals is, are like free therapy. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> uh, I mean, not free. Definitely not free. They're expensive. Pet insurance. Small child. Yeah. yeah. But um, they – I actually brought them to Australia with me this time because I, I couldn't handle having three months away from them. Oh, I'm so glad they came with yeah. you. And the quarantine's really short now. Yeah, it's like 10 days. Yeah, it's it used to be six months. I know. That's I like, insane to it's me. It's awful. Well, we've Terrible. never had a case of rabies. And if we did, it would wipe out so many of that's our, true, that's true. our native animals that you do not find in other countries. True. And they already had enough of a beating the last few months. That's that's so true. So just to finish up, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Mm. You never wear matching socks. That's one that I wear. Yes, I don't. Rarely am I wearing matching socks. I don't know if it's a case of when doing laundry can't be bothered matching them. Like as long as they're both ankle socks or both no shows, like both, same yeah, height. Yeah, same height. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm like, but that's more a matter of scarcity. Like I just lose my matching socks. Where do they go? I don't know. I feel like there's a place in heaven. There is. There's somewhere. Yeah, for lost socks. We should totally write that book. That's a children's book. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That can be your next project. Uh, Someone else that's listening is going to write it. but I okay. I'm might it might be out now because I usually say this one, but I'm terrified of clowns, still. Right, yeah. and heights also. I feel heights like you have a lot of phobias. Yeah, I can't do heights. Oh, no, no, I get like that vertigo oh. feeling. Like in all honesty, if I was. Like I love hiking. I love it and I love climbing and all this. Not, that's not rock climbing. Not rock climbing. Sorry. No, I don't mean that sounds a lot more brave than it is. Okay. I mean I like like hiking the mountain. Okay? Yeah, okay. But I could not stand on the edge of the mountain. Okay, so like gradual in inner. Gradual inclined. Yeah. yeah, going through rough terrain, all that sort of stuff is great for me. But I went to, if any of your listeners know of Sedona. So Sedona in Arizona in America is this gorgeous place that has some beautiful retreats. But the mountain formations there are insane. The rock formations, the climbing that you can do, the hiking you can do. And there was this one that has this this little bridge, right? And when I say little, <laughs> I would say it's probably like 10 feet wide. And it's it's. Th- it might Translate that into Australian though because feet oh, we're shoot. not good at. <laughs> let's say two meters yeah. let's say two yeah. meters wide I keep forgetting um yeah let's say it's two meters wide but it is it is so high up in the air we're talking like stories and stories and stories up in the air it could be two stories I'd still be terrified of it though yeah I know I'm like it's probably a meter people go out on this thing and take photos 
and ha- like sit on the edge of it and dangle their feet off the. No, I can't do it. I can't even talk about oh, it. Oh wow, my, yeah, my, it makes my skin crawl. You're having I a physical aversion. It's an I have a physical reaction to the thought of it. I can't even climb the Harbour Bridge because I'm terrified that I'm just going to want to fall off of it. It's like it's not a suicidal thing. It is yeah. this weird. No, of course it's not. It's just a phobia. It's this weird gravitational pull that makes me. It's vertigo. I don't understand. What exactly. if you like went to the window and looked out? Would you feel these? I'm better with because I know I feel it if I focus on it. But yeah. like I've almost like trained myself to just not focus on it. Don't sit near windows. What don't about flying? Flying, I'm fine with. It's oh. almost like I will never bungee jump, but I could possibly jump out of a plane. I'd be terrified. But because there's not the ground rush of like seeing that it's right. different for some reason. It's like a bubble kind of thing oh that's so yeah, weird like up in the air it's uh like yes it's terrifying I think once that door opened and I was pushed out I may die of a heart attack but oddly jumping out of a plane seems easier to me than bungee jumping wow yeah it's weird isn't it maybe closest to the ground yeah something like oh, that I don't, I don't know. know but then what if you when you fell and you got to bungee jumping height then it would just be the same thing right I don't know because people say that with bungee jumping, even those people that are terrified of heights and have done it to uh, try and master the fear have said that you are terrified only when you jump out and after like the first 10 seconds, if that, maybe the first three seconds, it's euphoric. You're like floating. Flying. Mm, there you go. It's, I mean, you literally are flying or well, nice. you're plummeting to your death. You know, <laughs> I know, you I, won't call it that. Right? Perspective, remember? Perspective. <laughs> yeah. It's a choice. You're either flying or plummeting to your <laughs> yeah. death. You choose. <laughs> <laughs> and since I love quotes so much, what's your favorite quote? Oh, gosh, that's so tough. I've had so many over the years that I've loved. I can tell you the one that's on my ribcage. Yes, um, perfect. If you loved it enough to make it permanent. So th- this this quote came because it was part of me navigating through that whole like, oh, I'm in Hollywood, but how do I stay me and how do I whatnot? And it was really difficult for me in the beginning. Um, and it's I found this quote because of Robin Williams, but it's actually from a book. And it's, you are a terribly real thing in a terribly false world. And that I believe is why you are in so much pain. And it's a little bit dark. So when I got it, my mum was like, well, what does that mean? And for (laughs) me. A little somber. A little somber, but it is very deep. And for me, me, I found the meaning of, yes, I was this very real thing living in this world of Hollywood of people pulling me in different directions to be these different things. And sometimes even say things I didn't necessarily want to say or agree with. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't Mm. know how to be asked a question and not be fully open and honest in my answer. And I, you know, I started to see me losing myself Mm. and again, go back to being very grateful that I have my family that kept me grounded, but I had to figure out how to navigate my way through of that balance in being me and truly sharing me and finding who I am and my voice to say no to things, which is a very powerful thing for us to learn. Uh, But also sometimes playing the game of television and being, what I needed to be for that event or, or, you know, that moment. Oh, that was a beautiful, beautiful quote. And I wouldn't have thought of that necessarily as being so light in its darkness kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, <laughs> which in all honesty is my life. You yeah. know what I mean? I have had so many dark moments and then found the light because of it. And mm. so I do think that's why I have deep empathy and feelings. I can relate to pretty much anyone, even though I may not have had their 
particular experience, I can, I'm quite an empath actually. I can feel Mm -hmm. other people's energy and emotion, which is also another thing I had to navigate. I was going to say, it's kind of blessing and burden. Yeah, burden. Especially when you're young and you walk into a room and you feel everyone's energy, you think it's about you. And then you learn that everyone's got their own battle going on. Totally. But yeah, it felt very, very true for my life. And so it's quite personal. I don't really share that with people that often because most people judge it. Mm. Uh, But when I get the opportunity to explain why I, uh, I definitely like that opportunity because it's not it's not dark and I'm not dark it's mm. it's light born from dark oh that's beautiful well thank you so much for sharing and My for pleasure. sharing the whole story this was so delightful yeah. I hope you were ready for a three-hour podcast oh because... uh, they're my favorite kind <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this was we could go for ages we now. could I, I could talk for forever I'm telling you <laughs> just just put a mic in front of you and it's it's all on yeah basically <laughs> well thank you so much I'm so so excited to see how the rest of this season unravels me too and maybe the bachelor have you got a fa- oh, well maybe who knows um have you got a favorite for this season absolutely who? celia has to be my favorite yeah, because jared is you know he was our wedding dance choreographer he was our really good friends wedding dance choreographer samantha and mark and and I, he's been on a lot of seasons and i feel like he he needs a win yeah and then to be partnered with her who's had two incredible performances so far yeah it's been great like and like technically, I feel like she's really, you know, she's keeping doing it. up. She's, she's doing talented. it. She's definitely my favorite. I actually had a really soft spot for um, the maths guy who the first eliminated. Dean, yeah, Dean, eliminate is that a word? Anyway, the first one it's, eliminated. It is now. Yeah, it is now. I feel like he really had fun. Even he though did. he was really struggling, like he probably technically struggled the most. I had a soft spot for the fact that he was like so out of his comfort zone. Yeah, and I I appreciate it. And I said this to him after night one because we didn't – night one was such a jam-packed show. We didn't get to speak as much as we would have liked to. But I appreciated that even though knowing that everyone was against him and that most majority of people were ready to criticise and hate on him because of his experience on another show. Yes. uh, That I appreciated his courage in a sense in coming onto another reality TV platform and sharing himself because Dancing with the Stars is about being the best that you can possibly be. We're not about controversy. We're not about trying to show you in any light other than the one that you actually are standing in, who Mm. you are. Uh, But that other show is very different. It's kind of the complete opposite to what we're about. And so though it was very brave of him to come on the show, it was a perfect opportunity for him to show more of his true self. Mm. And I think he did. And hopefully in his only two episodes that he got to do, he changed a few people's minds. Yeah. It is a wonderful show for that, I think, mm. that it is – it's not about this, the sort of emotional interplay between characters. Mm. It's literally about the way that they they perform. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for the rest of the season. And thank, thank you. you so much for joining. My pleasure. I'm sure you can tell I loved this chat. And if you did too, as always, please do share it and tag at Shana Burgess to give her some love. Make sure you tune into the show on Sunday at 7.30pm on Channel 10 as well. It is live and as we have heard, it literally comes to you just as it is. It is such a fun show to watch and the competitors this year are absolutely incredible. It is just over a week until International Women's Day and I've got a few wonderful women to shine the spotlight on. So make sure you're subscribed to the show if you haven't already. And if you have a spare moment, please don't forget to leave a review. These small things help keep us on the chart so we can keep spreading 
spreading the yay. I'm heading to Brizzy this weekend, so hopefully see and meet some of you there. I just can't believe how big 2020 is shaping up to be. I hope you're all having a great end to Feb and are seizing your yay. <laughs>